Good evening. A um, couple of uh, couple things before we get into the sermon tonight. Um, the first is I feel terrible. Uh, the Weather Channel says death for people who have allergies right now, and um, I've been like at a fog all day. And I really apologize if that affects um, your ability to listen tonight or my ability to to I don't know what I'm supposed to be entertaining. Doesn't sound quite right, but something. Um, uh, I know we have a lot of announcements at the end of the year. I don't know if just being on staff, I think about that more than all of you or not. I don't know if you just tune out, you don't care. Um, but I think one of the things, uh, having worked in college ministry for 14 years um, and, and working with Kirsten for at least 11, I think 11, Kirsten and I have worked together, um, we just know that at the end of the year, there, it's such an amazing time to seed commitments and community for next year. Um, by the time people make decisions in the fall, y'all probably know this from your experience, you often feel like you've missed out um, because you can't catch up and you don't have time to sort of react to the reeling number of activities and expectations and commitments in the fall. And so we just see that the end of the semester, uh, in the second semester, is such a rich time for people to calibrate a little bit for the next year. So um, I hope that that's a blessing for you. Um, and one of the things um, that we've been announcing almost every week, I think, for the past month um, is the opportunity for people to serve as student interns in this ministry. Um, so if you have a desire for college ministry to be done excellently on this campus, to serve alongside of us, um, to grow as a disciple of Jesus and service to your peers, um, just to help us be more effective in the gospel going out and, and disciples being matured. If, if you know our vision, it, it's for, for college students to be known and know Jesus. And if you want to help us with that, please, please, please pick up a student intern application. Kirsten, are they back there somewhere or just down in the hub? They're back there on some kind of table. If you can't find them, they'll be in the hub. If you still can't find them, you can just email Kirsten, any social media place you can probably find her. Um, uh, and I want to just say this, because sometimes I think everybody's really shy of like commitment stuff. Um, if you're just feeling like an inkling of it, I would encourage you to actually fill it out. This is actually a pretty general principle in life. Um, you don't have to know beyond a shadow of a doubt if you want to do something to take like a step in that direction uh, to test out discernment with it. Does that make sense? So, so from, from, this doesn't work with y'all. There's, there's this, uh, has anybody ever heard this phrase? It's easier to steer a moving car. No. Oh yes. Okay, good. Well, every car has power steering in town, but mine right now. So I don't think it matters to anybody because when you have power steering, it's just like this. If you see me in, uh, this weird tank looking van thing, um, trying to turn a corner, I'm like, like this, cause it, I don't have power steering. Um, it's a $6 fix and I don't know why I haven't done it, but, uh, it's been three months in any case. Um, welcome to my life. Uh, that's not what this is about. Okay. Um, recalibrate. Uh, easier to steer a moving car. Yes. So when you don't have power steering, one of the things you know is you cannot steer the dang thing unless you're moving a little bit. If I'm parked, I can't move. And so I do like a 13 point turn because as I drive, it's easier to steer. The same kind of principle applies a ton with our commitments in life, y'all. As you guys are trying to figure out what to do in life, jobs, roommate situations, whatever, I'd encourage you to take a couple of steps in the direction. It doesn't mean the rest of your life. If you're interested in doing the student internship, I would encourage you to take an application, fill it out, maybe even interview. Kirsten can say, we'd love for you to be a student intern, and you can say, nope, but it feels great to be wanted, thank you. You can say that, um, but it may actually be really helpful for you to go through the process of discernment if you feel just an inkling of it, okay? So, a um, couple service announcements too. Uh, if you don't have anybody to celebrate Easter with this Sunday, I'd love to have you over to my house. If you're just looking for free food and you've already got family in town, stay there. Um, <laughs> But uh, I've had like 60 people before and it's been obnoxious. So, um, but if you don't have anybody to celebrate with, just come talk to me. I'd love to have you over this Sunday. Um, also tonight, 
this sermon has been really, really influenced by a couple of folks. So you may just assume this, but um, you know, none of us have original thoughts. Like we're all just listening to, we're standing on the shoulders of giants. I read commentaries, I listen to sermons, I, I'm affected by friends and students here that, that, that pour into um, and all of the, the thoughts I have and give me wisdom. And um, there's two commentators, one guy named Dill Bruner, another guy named Leslie Newbigin, um, who've been very influential tonight and I'm largely plagiarizing them. Um, so you can read them if you wanna know where I'm getting my source material. Um, and also tonight is also brought to you by Zach Dirksen who just gave me a Sudafed. So, um, all right. Tonight, um, let's get into the sermon, actually. Um, tonight, I, I really want you guys um, to, I want you to slow down and get curious. So tonight's a bit of an interesting timing um, because we're gonna talk about Easter a little bit, but b- before Easter as a celebration. And my invitation for you tonight is not to worry so much about practical application or, or learning something really interesting that fills up your tank for the week or what, I don't know how you, what you're expecting coming in here. I wanna invite you to slow down and be curious to ask questions about what happened that Easter morning some 2,000 years ago. I want our time tonight in this space to be a place where we, we catch a glimpse of the risen Lord and we kind of hold our breath a little bit. Um, that metaphor works for me because the last couple of weeks, my family and I have been watching BBC's Planet Earth 2 um, over, over the past couple of weeks, and we absolutely love it. Um, you, you might be able to imagine that, that with three kids under the age of 10, it's a little ridiculous uh, to try to get through any sort of TV show without a lot of distraction. Uh, so during like a typical episode of Planet Earth, which is about an hour, um, technically, uh, there's about two drinks spilled, four bathroom breaks, three outfit changes, at least 40% of our family's in tears at some point. Um, and the hour-long episode takes two or two and a half hours to watch. Um, that's like really, really typical. Uh, okay, but watching a show like Planet Earth, in the midst of all of that, there are actually these moments, these moments when you could hear like a pin drop, even with all, I have two dogs too, running back and forth, okay, one of them's nails is super long and they click all the time and it drives me insane and, and, and all these stuff's happening, but even in the midst of that, we can hear a pin drop at a number of moments in each episode, when the snake is just about to get the lizard, right, when the bird is about to break out of the egg, when the hawk is diving at like 110 miles an hour about to catch this fish, when the snow leopard's about to pounce, like all of these moments in every episode when everyone in our family is holding their breath, from my three-year-old on up to me. And you know why we're holding our breath? It's because we know something really great is about to happen. We know something really cool is about to happen and everybody knows it. We haven't even seen the episode. We know something great's gonna happen and we hold our breath. And my hope is that as we come to Easter Sunday this week, I hope that we come to it with that kind of anticipation, holding our breath because we know something great that's about to happen. And actually much more like the TV show, something great has already happened. We're just about to bear witness to it, to behold it and to celebrate it on Sunday morning. And so my invitation is to slow down a little bit and hold our breath. This is the great fact which sits at the center of creation the resurrection of Jesus it's the very central moment in history his life and work are actually called the fullness of time as if all of time had been waiting to be full until that moment and in the midst of our distracted bored and hurried lives I know that we'd miss it 
We think about St. Patrick's Day more than Easter and all that kind of stuff. And so would you slow down with me a bit tonight and look at this story like you're watching planet Earth a little bit, you know, with my family, I guess. Uh, if you have to go to the bathroom or something, go ahead. Um, if you spill drinks, we'll clean it up. Um, if 40% of you cry, sorry. Uh, we're gonna be looking at John chapter 20 tonight. Um, and I want us to get curious. I want to imagine kind of going alone to the tomb to see ourselves stoop down and peer in, to dart off to meet and tell others to feel the surprise and the amazement and the fear and the confusion and to wonder what in the heck does all this mean? And then to hold our breath and wait. And we'll exhale in part tonight and more fully on Sunday and completely when we're risen and see Jesus face to face. That's kind of what tonight's gonna look like. Let's pray and then we'll get into this. Father, uh, would you please um, be strong in my weakness and uh, we ask that your spirit um, who is surely here among us as you've promised would be convicting us and calling us to believe in your son Jesus, our Lord. May the words of my mouth and the meditations and thoughts of all of us be holy and pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So earlier, Tyler read John chapter 20, and that's where we're gonna be this entire evening, okay? So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to open it up, John chapter 20, um, take one from the back of the pew or something, I don't know. Um, and uh, if you're following along, I'm not really gonna be rereading each, each verse, but I'm gonna anchor um, some of the story uh, with some verses along the way. Um, so those will just be up there behind me as we go, right? So we're gonna start in John chapter 20, verse one. Um, early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So our story begins dark on an early Sunday morning with a lonely, heartbroken friend of Jesus standing before his tomb. This is how Resurrection Sunday begins. And it's Mary Magdalene. Where's everyone else? Jesus told them all that he would raise after three days. Where is everyone? All we find is Mary Magdalene. And when Mary sees this tomb had been opened, she just tears off, finding Peter and John telling them that someone has taken the Lord's body because evidently she didn't believe that a resurrection was happening either, opting for the assumption that someone had stolen the body. Well, Peter and John immediately start running to the tomb with John outpacing Peter and arriving first. He doesn't go in. Maybe he's waiting out of respect for Peter. Maybe he's afraid. I don't know, but when Peter finally gets there, in classic Peter fashion, he barges right in. And the body of Jesus is gone. And all that's left in the empty tomb are the linens, which were wrapped around his body when he was buried just two days prior. And curiously, the linens that covered up Jesus' face were separate from the rest and they were folded and lying there like he'd made his bed or something. Or, or more likely, like these linens had no use anymore and they're waiting to be put away. And the order of that all must have been strange. When John fo finally followed Peter in and surveyed the same scene, he believed. That's what we're told, he believed. And just like that, the corner was turned. In the very place where our Lord was buried, listen to this, in the very place our Lord was buried, the Christian faith was born. 
right there in the tomb. In the very tomb of Jesus is the first person who believed in him after his resurrection. And I wonder if there is any other place where the Christian faith can ever be born. And they did, Peter and John, what we all must do after the wildest and strangest of moments in our lives. They went home. They went home. And sometime around then, Mary arrived back to the tomb. We actually don't know if she walked or if she ran. Maybe she was faster than John and he just didn't want to admit it. We don't really know. But we find her in verse 11. That's where we'll pick up. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she stooped and looked in. And she saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where Jesus' body had been lying. And like Peter and John, she had to bend low and stoop to look into the tomb. And I can't help but think about how hard it is to look on Jesus' death unless we bend low. (laughs) Or perhaps it's his grace, right? Which bends us low from time to time so we can see it. In any case, she sees two angels sitting on either side of where the body of Jesus had been laid. And that must have been a really wild scene for a Jewish girl because it looked probably so much like the mercy seat. That space above the Ark of the Covenant with the winged creatures sitting on either side, that space in the middle where God for the Hebrew people was said to meet humans, to meet man. And when those angels asked her why she was crying, she told them that someone had taken her Lord and she didn't know where they put him. Still with tears in her eyes. And do we hear her still in her sorrow calling him Lord? I don't know where they've taken my Lord. And maybe because they disappeared, maybe because she just knew that nothing they were going to tell her would suffice, she just turns from the angels and she sees someone standing right near her. It's Jesus, but she doesn't recognize him. And in beautiful irony, she thinks he's the gardener. Rightly so, because he is in the grandest sense, right? But she doesn't recognize him. This is the, this is the one, uh, or this is one of those moments, I think, when, when you hold your breath. For here is the first person ever to experience the personal presence of the risen Lord. Mary Magdalene, the one who had seven demons that were cast out of her. The one who was at Jesus' heels from that point forward. The only one who shows up to his tomb that morning. She's the first person to experience the risen Lord. Can you imagine? And after he asks her why she is crying and who she is seeking, she says, sir, if you have taken him away with tears streaming down her face, tell me where you put him and I will go get him. In verse 16, Jesus says, Mary, or how she would have been called, Miriam, And she turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which means teacher. One Christian remarked that this is Jesus' shortest sermon. (laughs) Three syllables, Miriam. One word. With one word, she turns. You know what that word is in the Christian faith? Turning? Repent. In one word, she turns around and she declares the truth about him and loves him. Jesus, the great shepherd, calls her by name and at once she knows him. She embraces him and quickly he sends her to tell the disciples that he is ascending to the father and their father, to his God and their God. 
which is marvelous language of adoption. But it's kind of strange, I think, when I read it because he doesn't say, tell them that I am resurrected. He says, tell, tell them I'm ascending. Not that I'm done, but that I'm just getting started and that they are somehow wrapped up in it. And he calls them brothers after they've scattered and betrayed him, given up hope, hold up, he calls them brothers. What grace and forgiveness in Jesus' first words to them, friends. So, so Mary obeys and, and she goes off and she finds them and she tells them that she has seen the Lord and she gives them his message. And whether they were together when she finds them or not, we don't know. They were together after hearing her report for sure. We're told that they were afraid of the religious leaders who had just put Jesus to death. And so the disciples were huddled up in a locked room that evening, that same Sunday when Jesus appeared suddenly in their midst, right in the middle of their fellowship, which is how he ought to be in all of our fellowships. And everyone held their breath, can you imagine? And the first word out of his mouth, the first word out of his mouth is peace. And for all of us who are in Christ Jesus, it is the first word he speaks to us still. And after he speaks peace over them, he shows them his wounds and his hands and his side. This is the same Jesus. Not some image, not some hallucination. This is the same Jesus. And as they are filled with joy, he again tells them peace. Verse 21 peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. This is still Resurrection Sunday. Forty times in the Gospel of John, 40, Jesus is described as the sent one the one who is sent by the Father on mission. Jesus is known in the Gospel of John as the sent one from God. And now the sent one is sending them. Now he stands in their midst and sends them. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you to continue his mission by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, friends, is finishing his work in and through them calling them up into his own sending and empowering them to continue his work by his spirit. And do you notice how he consecrates his sending by breathing on them? And I am quite sure they held their breath in that moment too. What a weird moment. Biblically, it's only really echoed in the wording, in the, in the image. It's only really echoed in the Genesis story when God breathed life into humankind. And if you haven't picked this up yet, if you've been with us all semester, if you've been reading the Gospel of John, maybe you have, but if you haven't picked this up yet, the whole Gospel is framed in this Genesis language from the opening verses of chapter one right through the end and just like in the beginning, when God proclaimed goodness over humankind and gave them a mission and filled them with life, so now Jesus by, so now Jesus by, by for and through all things were made whom all things were made, he proclaims peace over his friends and he gives them a mission and he fills them with the spirit of life. This is just so like him. This is the kind of thing he does. This is the kind of thing our God does, friends. 
He declares blessing and peace. He sends, he fills with life and the spirit. This is what we should expect him to do when he shows up. Well, that's the first day the creation met its risen Lord. It was a Sunday that day, beginning with Mary on her way to the tomb in the dark and ending with Jesus inaugurating his church in that room. Someone was missing though, you may know the story. A couple were actually, one had committed suicide. There were 11 disciples left, I don't know that's six, but there were 11 disciples left. And one of the 11 wasn't there, Thomas, the twin. He wasn't there, we don't know where he was. But there probably is some kind of lesson uh, it just not, in not forsaking the gathering together of believers because you'll never know what you miss. Um, in any case, the other disciples found Thomas after this Sunday and they told him what they'd seen, right? We'd seen the Lord. He showed up among us. He did all these things, like all that kind of stuff, right? They're, they're telling him all this. And Thomas, in a reply that is all too familiar to me, said, I won't believe. I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands and put my fingers into them and place my hands into the wounds in his side. Unless that happens, I won't believe it. Verse 25, I don't know if that's up there, but that's, that's what, yeah, okay, great. The very next Sunday, the very next Sunday, a week later, they were together again, the disciples, and Thomas was with them. Because when you hear that something amazing happened at church last week, when you missed it, you're probably gonna go the next week. And so Thomas was there this time, right? And just as before, Jesus surprisingly showed up among them right in their midst and once again proclaimed peace over them. And then he looked straight at Thomas. And you had better believe that everyone was holding their breath again. You know what he said? He said, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe, Thomas. Oh, how much Jesus knows each one of us personally. He fashioned us and calls us by name. And like Thomas, friends, he gives each and every one of us exactly what we need to believe in him. And the creation holds its breath waiting for our response. And on that day, when the author of life the one who spoke light into existence and who calmed storms with his word told Thomas to believe. And between that word and his next breath, Thomas replied, my Lord and my God. He didn't even examine Jesus' hands and wounds. I don't know if you know that story, but when we know that we are found out by him, do you notice how the questions we have die away? Put your hands here, Thomas. Touch my wound here. Believe, Thomas. He says, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus told him, you believe because you've seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. And the end of the gospel story that John had put together is a declaration of Jesus as Lord and God. This is how the, the main thrust of his story ends. With a declaration of who Jesus is as Lord and God and then a blessing on all who would follow. All who would believe in Jesus because of the witness of the disciples. The gospel of John ends with a declaration about Jesus and a blessing on all who would follow and all who would believe in him.
based on the witness of the disciples. And we've been handed their witness in the Old and the New Testament. We've been given the witness of the disciples in the life of the church all throughout the world over the past 2,000 years. You find a place where people are being clothed and hungrier, being fed, and where Christians are not. Find one. We have the witness and the testimony of the church for thousands of years all over the world. And we who are in Christ have the internal witness of God's spirit at work in us, transforming us from one degree of glory <coughs> to another. And our Lord and God gives us all of this and he says to us, like he says to Thomas, believe. Believe. So I don't know if you're like Mary in the dark, clinging to a thread of hope, or like the disciples having given up and gone back to where you were before you met Jesus, or like Thomas demanding personal evidence before you believe, or like John hesitating to go in to where Christ has suffered for you, or like Peter ashamed and wondering if God can forgive you, but wherever you are, whoever you are, he asks you to believe that he is who he is and you are who he has declared you to be beloved, forgiven, chosen, called by name. Believe, friends. This is what John's gospel is about. This is what John's desire is in this gospel, to tell of what Jesus did in the public scene, not in a corner of the world, in front of people. He cherry-picked the stories of Jesus' life. You should read the last couple chapters and see what he has to say about all the other stories. He cherry-picked these stories to say, if you just could see this, you might believe that Jesus is the promised one that God had that promised, the Savior. You might believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And then the stories that billions of Christians will recount over the next few days, billions around the world, over the next three or four days, of Jesus' death and resurrection, which, by the way, we should be recounting them every time we come together anyway, but we, we, we do that with grand nature, I hope, this Sunday. These stories that they recount are the great facts of history which stand tall against our doubt and stand firm for our salvation and stand open to our wonder and our curiosity. Jesus rose from the dead, friends. He rose from the dead. That's not a belief that I just hold in my heart that's not something somebody went into a closet and calculated. That wasn't a conversation amongst a few private friends who had a really good idea for a faith tradition. What Christians stake their entire understanding of who they are, what meaning is about, the ethics that drive us, who God is, what the good life means, all that we stake in the world hinges upon this man that we believe was God, but then we Wondered if maybe he wasn't because we killed him, which really does throw you for some loops. He rose from the grave and he said, peace. And we went, well, maybe he is who he says he is then. And his work throughout his people, it really seemed like that first resurrection morning, he only had one follower. And her name was Mary. And even she struggled to believe in his resurrection. And for 2,000 years, the church has been growing like mad. You should actually look at the exponential growth of the church sometime. Just Google it. It's pretty wild just to look at where we were in the 1900. It's really, really wild. 
Well, this weekend we celebrate all of this and we're gonna celebrate it, I hope, even in part tonight in our songs, in our hearts, in the way that we respond to the truth that's in his word, I I hope. But I encourage you, I encourage you, just, just for the sake of unity with the other Christians in this world, to hold your breath just a little until Sunday. Maybe fast, maybe pray, maybe like most Christian traditions in the world don't even say hallelujah for a month before Easter to try to enter into this season and, and remember what Christ suffered. Or go back and listen to Kirsten's sermon last week because some of us don't care about the resurrection because we don't actually believe that we need to be saved from anything. And for some reason, we're not thinking about the fact that we're gonna die. I don't, I don't know why. I don't know why. But I encourage you to hold your breath a little till Sunday. And even then on Sunday, remember that we will breathe with new lungs on another Sunday still to come. I know, I know that each and every person in this room wants full, abundant life. I know that. Well, you've been told, friends, where it's found. Believe. Believe, believe, believe. There's people in the back who'd love to pray with you right now after we pray together. If you ever wanna talk about this stuff, I could geek out over the details, uh, or I'd love to just hear what your questions are. Anybody on our staff, student leadership would. We have student interns that would love to talk to you and they may be terrified at some of your questions. Go after them, that's great. This week is a fantastic week with two billion Christians around the world remembering the greatest fact in the history of the world, that God became a human. He took our sins upon his shoulders that we might be united with him. And he rose from the grave having victory over death. So we don't have to be afraid. Invited us into his mission in the world so that we could participate in life with him. Do you know how much greater that is than just sitting at some, I don't know, sitting on some sofa somewhere watching Netflix while God gets about saving the world? With the promise before us still that one day there will be no more sorrow, no more pain, no more death. Which I know is what we long for. And again, you have been told where it's found. And I, I, I have no power over your response to that. I can only proclaim to you the truth. Well, that's it, friends. Let's pray together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you for the truth. Thank you for how you've revealed yourself in history to us. Thank you for the countless brothers and sisters who have um, scrutinized and guarded and transmitted your word, the account of your acts in history so that we might read them and, and draw our confidence from them today. May we find the life that we long for in your son. Lord, you know it's not found anywhere else. Tonight as we sing a couple more songs, um, we sing them in response to what you've given us in the death and resurrection of your son and in the indwelling of, of your spirit. Would you continue to call people to yourself through the witness of your church? May those of us in this room, may we, may we know that we are sent on mission and that we've been declared peace by your son with each other and with you. We pray that that what happened on Easter is a foretaste of what's to come. Would you help us to believe it? Um, And I also, Lord, I just ask also for all of of my friends in this room that are going home to really rough family situations, um, especially on Easter, would you do a miracle there? Help them to be known and loved. Help them to know and love their family. May you bring reconciliation where there's strife. Bring forgiveness where there's bitterness. I mean, no one in this room celebrate alone. 
Would you receive our praises now, whether they are in doubt or in confidence or like John standing outside or Peter rushing in, um, just receive our praises and, and, and baptize them in your grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.